Have you ever noticed that the songs that were popular when you were a teenager just have this timeless beauty that just never goes out of style? You can hear one bar of it and you just feel so great. And yet, the music that your children and your grandchildren listen to, it kind of sounds like, well, kind of like noise, bad noise. Well, maybe you're a music aficionado and you like new kinds of music and you appreciate hearing new music, but frankly, it doesn't really do anything for you. Not like the music of your youth. It doesn't really speak to your soul. Neuroscientists have recently discovered why this is true. Brain imaging studies reveal that our favorite songs stimulate a pleasure circuit in the brain, releasing all kinds of neurochemicals that make us feel good. And in young people, this action in the brain is more like a fireworks show. During our teen years, the brain is still forming and we are becoming our own identity and forming deep and powerful relationships with friends, and so our emotions are raw and open, and that's why years later when we hear a certain song, it can transport us back to our first kiss, or to the senior prom, or to our childhood church, or to grandma's living room. Scientists call this phenomenon the reminiscence bump where the music connects to a deep sense of who we are and what we love, and it opens up our hearts to a feeling of joy and wonder, or maybe it evokes a memory of a longing, or just of a moment when we felt completely loved. There are moments, you know, when no one needs to tell you to say thank you. There are moments when the heart simply erupts in praise. I vividly remember that moment of going to get the mail when I was a senior in college. I can picture the envelope on the bench where the mail came into the sorority house. And I remember thumbing through that stack of envelopes and seeing the one I wanted to arrive. It had the return address that I had been waiting for. I knew that inside that letter was either the acceptance or the rejection from the grad school that I most wanted to attend. And so with my fingers trembling, I tore it open and my heart soared when I read the words, you are accepted. I remember vividly being in the delivery room after a long night of labor when I cradled my newborn son for the first time feeling his skin against mine, looking into his sweet eyes. I was completely exhausted and spent physically, and yet my joy was uncontainable, and my praise was a blubbering mess of tears. And I remember just three months ago today when my daughter Carmen surprised me by inviting me into the delivery room to witness the arrival of a long-awaited baby girl. Everything about that moment was high risk. Memories of loss were too fresh when sweet Mira came into the world with her hands reaching out in love. No one needed to tell any of us to praise God. Praise simply erupted into warm embraces. And you know what? The iPhone pictures that we took of that day in no way captured the miracle that we had experienced Praise is not a forced deal. Praise simply comes 
when you know that you have been loved beyond measure. Stevie Wonder sings about the moments when we have praised God because we know that God has loved us in ways beyond our wildest imagination. The first lines to his song, As, are on the front of your bulletin this morning. As around the sun, the earth knows she's revolving. As the rosebuds know how to bloom in early May, just as hate knows that love's the cure, you can rest your mind assured that I'll always be loving you. Stevie Wonder's song echoes today's scripture from Psalm 100, which sees in all of creation the reason for us to praise God. Both the song and the psalm summon us to acts of praise. Make a joyful noise, come into his presence, enter his gates, worship with gladness, but you know praise cannot be forced. Asking you to praise when you don't feel like praising, well, it's like asking you to love the music that simply does not speak to your soul. And so how shall we follow this ancient command to praise? Listen to the way that Eugene Peterson puts this scripture in his paraphrase from the message. He says, on your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter, sing yourselves into his presence. Know this, God is God and God, God. God made us, we didn't make God. We're God's people, God's well-tended sheep. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise, thank God, worship God, for God is sheer beauty all generous in love, loyal always and ever. But what about those days when we don't feel like laughing, when we don't glimpse that beauty, when we wonder, really wonder, if God does love us? Surely the psalmist and Stevie Wonder, who was blinded from childhood, knew the suffering and the depression and the boredom and the doubt that could creep into one's own ability to praise. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, reads one of the other psalms. The people of God, they were sent away to live in exile in Babylon. They were taken captive, ripped away from their families and from economic prosperity and from their spiritual temple, their homeland. They knew that praise doesn't always arise naturally. I think of Matt's story. Matt sang in the choir at his church. He told what happened in a story in the Christian Century three years ago. Matt's choir had been assigned to sing some very difficult songs for the church's celebration of Evensong, which is the service that they always had every year to mark the beginning of the season of Lent. Matt and the other members of the choir, they practiced. They practiced diligently, but frankly, they were a lot more focused on the syllables and the notes than they were on the meaning of the music. For them, it was just another chore. But then just a couple of days before Evensong, a dear friend in the church died unexpectedly. 
he left a request that no funeral be held. His parents and many church members, including many choir members, didn't know what to do with their grief, which they were used to bringing into the sanctuary in a service of worship. And so someone had the idea that they could dedicate the singing of those songs at Evensong to his memory, and all the choir agreed. That night when folks piled into the sanctuary for the beloved service of Evensong, they didn't know that they were coming in to sit alongside a man's grieving family. But as the choir began to sing, all those intellectual abstractions about the music began to fade, and the rules of proper singing were lost, and instead, they were focused on the death of their friend as they sang about Jesus marching towards the cross. And as they sang about one who would depart this earth in peace, they imagined God welcoming their friend into God's eternal presence. And Matt wrote afterwards that God allowed the members of the choir to serve as a means through which God breathed peace into the souls of the family. And God had somehow stored up their words for that night, words more powerful and necessary than they could have known, because after the service, the family said they had no words to express the power of that moment for each of them. In the face of death, they sang God's praise. Praise cannot be forced. But do you suppose that the choir could have offered that sacred gift if they had not already spent weeks and weeks practicing? Sometimes we just have to go through the motions waiting for our emotions to catch up. Maybe that is why the psalmist demands that we go and praise. Maybe it's really practice that we're being asked to do. I read an article last Sunday about a woman runner. I was trying to pick up some tips on running since so far I have only managed to run one block. This woman has been running one mile or more every day for 32 and a half years. She's 59 years old, and I could just imagine the power of her physical strength because of her daily practice. And I can imagine the shape of our souls when we practice our praise every day. The scripture says, enter God's courts. You know, in the ancient day, there was a religious king, and the king had a house with a courtyard and some gates, and next door was another king, the king of the land, also with a courtyard and a doorway and a gate. And the psalmist says, come into the gate of God, into the courtyard, into the space where God is, and you will be able to praise involuntarily. And so I'm wondering this morning where you practice your praise the best. Is it in yoga class? Is it when you come into the sanctuary and are bathed again in the light of these stained glass windows? Is it on your patio listening to the birds in the morning, drinking some coffee and saying your morning prayers? Is it a particular song or a poem or reading to a child? Why is it? that we know that's the place where our hearts go for praise, but we resist entering in 
to that courtyard, why do we hold back? Walter Brueggemann says that the Psalms provide a sacred canopy under which we can live our lives. How do we build time into our daily lives to enter into that sacred canopy? God will provide the praise. We just need to go into the courtyard. I remember our first trip as a church to Nicaragua. It was 12 years ago, maybe a bit more. Carly was there. We made a lot of mistakes on that trip, and one of our mistakes was to show up in Nicaragua during the rainy season. Before we could even arrive at the village we had been assigned to partner with, we had to pile off the bus so that our bus could make it up the muddy, unpaved roads in that rural area of Nicaragua. And after we got there, it rained every day, Shirley remembers. It rained so much that when we needed supplies, we couldn't even leave and go to town to get them. Up there on that mountaintop, isolated, and just with the people in the village, we fell in love with all of them. We watched them trudge through those muddy roads and paths, sometimes up to their ankles in mud, to get to the clinic, to come to worship each night in this tiny little room that we slept in on the wooden ragged benches by night and turned back into the sanctuary of praise the next day. And I remember one night near the end of the week when it was time for worship to begin and it was pouring down rain and I stood just outside under the ledge of the tin roof watching the people in the village walk in the rain, almost all of them without umbrellas or rain jackets, to come to worship when all of a sudden I spotted a woman whom we had met earlier in the week in our clinic. She had polio. She had lost the use of her legs below the knees. Her feet were like clubs dragging behind her. My jaw dropped as I saw this woman climbing up a steep, muddy hill on her knees on the way to church to sing God's praise. Why? Why was she coming? Why not stay home? Was she hearing her favorite song and the guitar and the bongos that were warming up for worship inside that little building? Or did she simply know that no matter what, God was always loving her? I will never know for sure, but I want to practice praise the way she did every day.